0: morning everyone it's a joy to be with you this morning uh what a blessing to be able to worship god together um this morning um this week actually there was a song that came out by a group called maverick city music one of my favorite groups in the last couple of years and the song's called gyra and there's this line in the song that says you know i will never be more loved than i am right now And I think it's beautiful in many reasons. One of the reasons is because we think about Jireh, we think about God provide, the Lord will provide, right? We may even, some of us think about Abraham and Isaac and how God provides. But I love that simple line of, I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Because as we've been learning the last couple of weeks, Yahweh isn't just this high and mighty name of God. Yahweh means God has loved me. God is loving me. God will love me. God is with me now. I love coming back. I think true wisdom isn't just the ability to learn something or to grow from something But it's how remembering that there's nothing new under the sun, but understanding it a new way. And where that song hit me this week was just that simple reminder that in this moment, I'll never be more loved than I am right now. So my prayer for you all and for me too in this service is that as we've sang, as we've prayed, as we listen, that we may also hold on to the God who has loved us, the God who is loving us, the God who will love us, the God who's with us now, simply says to us, you'll never be more loved than you are right now. Amen? This morning, we're celebrating Palm Sunday, which is beautiful of many different reasons. One of the reasons I love Palm Sunday is it not only commemorates Jesus' triumphal entry, it's a global celebration, which means what we do this morning in Harrisburg echoes all throughout the world. It's seen in Asia, in Africa, in parts of Europe. It's seen in South America. All over the world, we're gathering to commemorate Jesus' triumphal entry. Now, for us as Americans, we don't necessarily have kings, right? So the closest thing I could come up with in our context is is almost like Jesus's inauguration as king. And what does that look like? And as we see this week, and as we'll go into our passage, I love that we're, again, united with saints all across the world. But I love Sundays like this because it reminds us, though, that we belong not just to God and each other physically here in Harrisburg, but we're celebrating with all the saints of old, for thousands of years on this day, people have gathered and remembered, Jesus is king. And for thousands of years to come, or whenever Jesus decides to come back, people will gather on Palm Sunday, remember what? Jesus is king. And I love that unity that ties us together, reminding us that it's not just about me and God, right? It's about us. And what does that look like? And how do we communally worship with each other and worship Jesus? The other thing about Palm Sunday that maybe is lost in some of our traditions is that um, it celebrates, yes, the last week of Lent but kind of our march towards Eastertide. So this transition from the last week of Lent into not just Resurrection Sunday, but that whole season that the church, the historic church is called Eastertide. And I think that ties in beautifully because we've been talking about Lent and we're saying this Lent season, hold on to both, that we are blessed and privileged to walk with God. We're blessed and privileged to walk with God together. We remember that, you know, in this Lenten season that we need to hold on to God, yes, but also hold on to one another and hold that together. In the journey as we're holding on to God and each other, we've been challenged and invited to remember Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days before he goes out into doing his ministry, but also hold together and remember Jesus' march towards Calvary. We've been trying to hold on to both of them, and I think it's significant, and you see it this week especially as we kind of transition again from Lent to Holy Week to Eastertide. Now in the wilderness, we focus on prayer, on self-restraint, on repentance, on reconciliation, but this week as we begin Holy Week, as we start to look towards Calvary, remember that our Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Remember that our Jesus came boldly even when his life was threatened, even as a marked man, even when he knew what was coming ahead of him, he walks boldly or rides boldly on this donkey. And as he set his face towards Jerusalem, he inspires us to do the same, to take up our crosses to follow him, to live empowered by the Spirit. Now this year is the third year I'm preaching on Palm Sunday, and if you're following along, I know you're all taking notes at home, right? Um, This is the third year, so we're doing Luke, right? Palm Sunday, or this, this Jesus' inauguration of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem appears in all four Gospels, which tells us that it's got to be important. If every single biography of Jesus, biographer of Jesus, feels the need to highlight this day, it's important. And there's things we learned from Matthew and Mark. And this year, we'll look at Luke's example. And if you want to get ready for next year, you know, 2022, guess where we're going? We're going to go to John's example, right? And we're just going to keep rotating it, right? But as we go to Luke's example... What I want us to hold on to this week, and this week, or as we go into Holy Week, is that yes, Jesus comes for this inauguration. Yes, Jesus comes for this coronation. Yes, Jesus comes in this triumphal entry, but he comes as our blessed King. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I'll be reading verses 28 to 44. Luke 19, 28 to 44. We also have them up front, so you can follow there as well. Starting at Verse 28 it reads, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the coat, the owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it. And he went along. People spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this blessing and this joy to worship you this day on Palm Sunday where our Jesus has celebrated the world over. Lord Jesus, we pray that we may remember that you've come to set us free, that you've come to show us not just glory, but how to live and love to please God, that you've left radiance to take on skin, that you've walked these streets to show us how to love, how to live. But this morning, as we celebrate your inauguration, your coronation, your triumphal entry, Lord, may we be reminded of a God who so loved the world of a spirit that unites us as one and transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. And may we be reminded that in this moment, like we've always been, like we are right now, like we forever will be, we are loved by you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So one of the things that's fascinating is that historians over time have always said the best way to look at all of scripture is that this is a Jesus play. You know, I think it's uh, um, uh, William Barclay actually points out to this idea that if you want the whole Jesus play, that's the scripture. But if you want the last stage of the journey, the final act of the film, the final act of the drama, you have to go to Jerusalem. And what a scene it is. You know, I think a lot of times we forget all that's happening in Jerusalem. The first thing is that Jerusalem has to be remembered for what it is. It's the political but also the spiritual center of all of Israel. Israel. You know, I, I've been thinking about Jerusalem this week, and I reminded about how my country, Liberia, kind of has our own Jerusalem. Monrovia is the capital city of Liberia, and is very much the political and spiritual center because the majority of our population, which is about 3 million, depending on your source, you know, sources. Um, but of that 3 million, within Monrovia and from Monrovia, you have over half the population. So most of Liberia is really focused in on Monrovia. You can kind of use that understanding to see, you know, that most of Jerusalem is all of Israel. Most of Israel is concentrated on Jerusalem. Now, I know it's hard for us as Americans because we don't even think Washington, D.C. counts, right? We don't even give them statehood. They don't even have votes, you know? It's just like they're just there, right? So it's hard for us. So we have to use our imagination, right? And, and, and in this context, I guess in the rest of the world, capital cities mean something. And I love Harrisburg. But it took moving to Harrisburg 5 I knew Harrisburg was the capital of Pennsylvania. Public schooling, you know, trust that. But here's the thing, though. We have to understand that Jerusalem isn't just a random city. We have to understand that from the beginning, Jerusalem is crucial to the plans of God. Jerusalem isn't just the city of David, Jerusalem is the city of the temple. Jerusalem is where the people gathered the praise, whether it was once a year for for, for forgiveness and redemption or consistently to go and worship. Each family would go up year after year, journey after journey, feast after feast to Jerusalem. We have to hold on to Jerusalem as the center. And I think that's important for understanding Palm Sunday because if you don't understand Jerusalem as the center, you'll never understand why Jesus had to go to Jerusalem. What's interesting is that on his way to Jerusalem, he went through Bethpage and Bethany, which points to something that's happening here. This isn't just a regular feast. This is the Passover feast. During the Passover feast, one Roman centurion, one Roman scholar, estimated that there were over 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed during that Passover feast. Now, the, the belief back then was that it was about 10 people for one lamb which means that this centurion, the Romans like numbers, they counted a lot, right? They love numbers. So this would prove to us that even back then, during Passover, two and a half million people are in and around Jerusalem. So when you think about Palm Sunday, maybe it's about kids waving branches, and maybe it's like you waving branches, but I want you to understand this is the center of Israel, This is the most important time in the year, in the people's lives in Israel. This is when the entire country is gathered upon the city of Jerusalem. That's when Jesus shows up. When you think about the courage of Jesus, it doesn't just happen at Calvary. It's knowing that Calvary is coming knowing you're a marked man, knowing that not only death is coming, they're trying to kill you now and choosing the most important time in the life of the people and showing up as the prince of peace. And on his way, he stops at Bethpage, which is this one town that was closer to Jerusalem. What's interesting about Bethpage to me is that the name literally means the house of unripe figs, right? And to me, the only thing worse than figs are unripe figs, you know? I know some of you like figs. The first service, they looked at me funny, and I was like, it's fine. I love you. You know, just because you like chewing sand doesn't mean I don't love you, you know? Like, just because you like it, that's great for you. We need people to eat sand, I guess. But the house of unripe figs And I was thinking about what's the significance of that. Well, Bethpage is between Jerusalem and Jericho. And actually on the Sabbath, because people couldn't travel so far, it was used to hosting people. And then there's Bethany, which is mentioned in our passage, which is another interesting one. Um, I don't plan on having any more daughters, but for people who name their children daughter um, Bethany, I think this is interesting. Because Bethany literally means the house of dates, which is a fruit I can tolerate, or the house of misery, so take with that what you will. For all you named Bethany out there, I'm sorry your parents apparently didn't love you as much as God did. I apologize. But the other thing about Bethany is that again it's also on this road between Jerusalem and Jericho so it's another place that people were hosted. And I think for many times we run all the way to Jerusalem without again pointing out Page and Bethany. Why do all the gospel writers point it out? It's because this is a season where Jerusalem was so overflowing that the nearby towns had to house the people. This is Jesus on his way. Isn't just Jesus walking like, hey guys, how's it going? It's literally building up a crowd along the road to go with him as he walks and marches into Jerusalem. Why were so many people there? You see, there was many Jewish feasts, but the Passover feast was significant. It was foundational. You can also call it maybe the cornerstone of Jewish faith. And the Passover the people celebrated Yahweh, the God who has loved us, the God who is loving us, the God who will love us as the God who's with us now. And Yahweh is the one who liberated us from Egypt. That's what they commemorated. That's what they celebrate to this day. And that's why millions of people came to Jerusalem. There's something I want us to hold on to. You know, our church has white walls. And for years, we're just like, what are we going to do with these white walls, right? And we finally got the idea to put up these flags, right? And it's not just to brighten up the room or or to, to signify like, oh, this is where we're from. It's to signify where we're all from, yes. But it's to remind all of us that from Genesis to Revelation, our Father's kingdom has always been for the world. It's to remind us that from Genesis, even those people who left Egypt, it wasn't just Israelites that left, it was all who believed. Read it in Exodus 12. It was people who believed. And if you remember, Egypt back then was before the Arab invasion. So there's a good chance that Egypt back then were people who looked like me. So there's a good chance that from the very beginning, God's plan was for the world. God's people was the world. And on this Passover Sunday, when Christians, or not even Christians, followers of God, would gather from parts of Asia, yes, parts of Africa, yes, parts of the known Middle East, they were all in Jerusalem. Let it not be lost upon you that when Jesus inaugurates his kingdom, the whole world is there. Let it not be lost on you that we fight for diversity, we fight for racial equality, we fight for racial justice, we give everyone a voice, we celebrate every culture. Let it not be lost upon you. That this isn't something new that we invented. This starts in Genesis when God creates us. It'll end in Revelation when heaven comes down, and it starts even on this day when Jesus is coronated as king. The whole world is there. This is why we are who we are. For greater than that, this is why the church will be what God has created us to be, a multicultural, a multiracial kingdom for the world. And these Jews these two and a half million plus Jews are from the world. Let it not be lost upon you. that when Jesus enters in, the whole world is there. And when he gets there, he's going to announce his kingship. So he does this by sending two disciples, which as a kid, I found this really, really interesting. The scholars would tell you that, well, that's just what they did back then. As a kid, when I read this story, I was just like, well, if they're going to steal somebody's coat, you know, like you might as well be two of you, at least one of you might make it, right? But if you look a little bit deeper, you realize that Jesus gives this parent answer, right? So, um, Jesus, when we take the colt that's in the yard, like, what if they ask, why are we taking it? And he goes, oh, just tell them I need it, right? But if you look a little deeper and you look at Jesus, you realize that nothing is just, you know, happens, right? Like, God has planned every part of this story, and Jesus has done the work before to say, when the time comes, I will send you two disciples, two messengers. Prepare the cult because I will need it. Now, what's interesting is there's a raging debate going on right now in Christianity. And, and among Christian scholars, you know how we debate? We either yell on, on, on social media. That's the new way. The old way is we write really long papers that no one reads, right? That's the old way, right? If you really want to come at somebody, you write a really long paper that no one will read. And what's interesting about this debate about, about Jesus and, and, and Passover and walking in, uh, inaugurating the kingdom here on Palm Sunday, is that there's some people who believe Traditionally, that Jesus is actually showing the different sides of the kingdom, because the Romans and conquerors, when they came in, they would come in on what? Their war horses, right? They would come in to show their military power, their might, how amazing they were. And Jesus doesn't come in on a war horse; he chooses the baby of a a colt or donkey. And the reason why you'll see it appear in in different gospels as colt and donkey is because they're using the same Greek word, right? So it, it just means a baby animal. And that was significant because not only Zechariah's hand are read in our scripture, not only did Zechariah predict this, but it was this idea and a symbol of peace. So the traditional understanding has been like the Romans, when they come, they come in power. But look at Jesus comes in peace. But there's a newer thinking that says the week of Jesus' triumphal entry, Pontius Pilate rode into town, too. That on the opposite side of Jerusalem, Pilate came in all his glory to show all his might. And Jesus doesn't come with military might. He comes with the people and on a donkey. And I'll I'll read these papers in the next 30 years. And when they figure out what really happened, I'll let you know. But for now, I think it's important to just realize that Jesus is working within the context of culture. You know, in America, like some of us, are, we watch inaugurations for fun. But most of us, if I say inauguration, you have a picture in your head, right? Of what you think it looks like. And I think that's what Jesus is working with. When these people come, when they want to show you who's the king, who's in power, they come with their war horses, their chariots, and all their political might. When I come, I'll come with myself. I'll come on a baby donkey, and I'll come with my people. I think it's beautiful that our Prince of Peace doesn't need war to show power. Doesn't need human might to show God's might. Doesn't need the show to be the show. And Jesus enters Jerusalem. He chooses this colt, which is a symbol of peace, over the war horse. And the coronation for the Prince of Peace begins. As Jesus has gathered these people from along Jerusalem, from Jericho to Jerusalem, from Bethpage and Bethany, as all around him as they receive the colt, the crowd receives Jesus as king. And you'll see it in the passage that right away they take their cloaks, they put it on the the colt. As the colt is coming into town, they take their coat and lay it at the feet. Let it not be lost upon you. The last several weeks we've been talking about covenant. I remember one of the marks of covenant, right? You would take off your coat. You would take off your cloak. And you would say what? Lord, all that I am belongs to you. All that I identify is yours. I lay it all at your feet. So don't let it be lost upon you. They're they're not just doing this because they want the the cult to walk in on on, on padded ground, right? They're not just taking off their cloaks to be like, yeah, we praise you they're finally saying in this action, Lord, all that I am belongs to you. Palm Sunday is the reminder that we are to do the same. All that we are, how we identify what we have, what we don't have, our knowledge, our lack of knowledge, our education, our bank account, our gifts, our skills, and our abilities. Palm Sunday is a reminder that we need to take them all off and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Because if they're not at the feet of Jesus, if they're not in submission to Jesus, then they can be our God. And they are our God. And so when we see these people taking off their cloaks, it is not just, oh, this is a really cool thing to do. It's saying that Jesus, we are choosing to identify with you. And I think it's John who points out that the people took the palm branches and they put them at their feet. This was also a sign that the Lord, the King is here. We submit to you. So I think it's a reminder to all of us on Palm Sunday that whether it's our cloaks that we take off, the things that we identify with and give it to Jesus, or our palm branches that we do, this is about submission. And Palm Sunday is a reminder that submission to Jesus is not just a one-time thing. It's your entire identity every single day. It's your entire and all of your praise every single day when they go out and they rub their cloaks and they put the palm branches down. They're saying, Lord, we want to only be identified with you and we're pledging all that we are to you. And then something interesting happens. You know, with all these people coming into town, Jerusalem was a tourist city. And what I mean by tourist city is when people visit your city a lot, There's this language or or even culture among the people that we always be gracious, right? Because that's a part of the lifeblood of the city. So one of the ways that Jerusalem was a tourist city is that when these pilgrims would come for Passover or another feast, you would say, hey, blessed is he or she who comes in the name of the Lord. It was like a standard greeting, right? Like when you go to a hotel and they're like, nice to meet you, Mr. Johnson, standard greeting, right? Blessed is he or she who comes in the name of the Lord. The shift that happens in this is that the people are now singing what blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord so for example if i welcome you to my house and i say hey welcome you know miss johnson welcome if i say welcome miss president that's a little different and i think it's the thing that we miss sometimes we're like oh hosanna means blessed is the king no no no. this is how they greeted each other but when they say blessed is the king they're recognizing that not only does our identity belong to him, not only does our praise belong to him, not only does our heart belong to him, they're saying he is the one that Malachi told us about. He is the one that Zechariah told us about. He is the one that God told us about. He is our Messiah and our king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the reason you realize this was incendiary is because what did the Pharisees say right away? Jesus, teacher, teacher rebuke your disciples. If they had just said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they'd be like, oh, they're just greeting him. We're going to kill him Friday anyway, no big deal. But when they say, blessed is the king, blessed is the Messiah, blessed is the redeemer, blessed is the one who was promised, blessed is our Lord and Savior, the Pharisees lash out. What I love about this is I think I at least underplay not just the brilliant of jesus right it's god he's brilliant it's, it's true it's true we underplay his ability to speak deeply into the heart with only a few words because when they say rebuke your disciples he says what i tell you if they keep quiet only even the stones will cry out and i love that because my first understanding was all of creation will praise his name all of creation would cry out to him but if you go back to the disciples and if you go through the epistles, a theme that emerges is what? Jesus was the chief cornerstone that was rejected by Israel, that was rejected by his own people. And I love to play on words here where Jesus is basically saying, I'm supposed to be the cornerstone of your building. I'm supposed to be the foundation. You have missed me. But I will still build up the kingdom with all the other stones around me. And I love that Jesus says, yes, you may keep quiet, but all the other children will get a chance to cry out and sing my name. So when they sing Hosanna, they're saying, save us now, King Jesus, our Messiah. Redeem us now, rescue us now, King Jesus. And actually I want it to end at verse 40 because 41 to 44 is not really like a pick-me-up, right? It's a weird ending for some of us and we're just like, what's happening here? And there's two things that happens in 41 to 44. After the people say, we belong to you, Our identity is you. All that we are is to you. Our heart is to you. After they say, blessed is the King, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Jesus leaves and he says, he weeps and he laments over Jerusalem. But then he predicts the fall of Jerusalem. If you study Jerusalem (laughs) from the time of David until 2021, and sadly, probably until Jesus comes back, it's one of the most attacked cities it's been besieged by others. It's been taken over. There's three different, what we call Abrahamic faith, that all claim it now, and they're still fighting over it. But I think it's deeper than just Jerusalem will fall someday. I think Jesus, even though the people pledged their loyalty to him, even though they pledged their identities to him, even though they pledged their hearts to him, even though they, they praised him, Jesus wants us all to know, not only does God lament over sin, That if our praise to God is a one-time thing, our lives will lead to destruction. That if our our belonging to God is a one-time thing, our lives will lead to destruction. That if if, if our, our heart only gives to God at a certain time or a certain place, our lives will lead to destruction. It's not just the physical Jerusalem he's talking about, because later on in the New Testament, what do we learn? Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We can be Jerusalems too. And if we're not willing to every single day take our cloaks off and put them at his feet, take our praises and put them at his feet, take our lives and put them at his feet, if we're not willing to have a Palm Sunday every single day, our lives will lead to destruction. And the other parts in Scripture, and Jesus talks about, the thing Jesus talks about the most, it's not love, it's not even dying, it's the kingdom. And there's different ways he talks about the kingdom. And it shows up all over Jesus' teaching. Sometimes it shows up as parables where he'll be like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, it's like a treasure, it's like good soil. But on Palm Sunday, Jesus shows us that the kingdom is about complete allegiance to him. That's what the kingdom is about, That this one who had talked about what was going to happen in secret now acts out in public as the Messiah. That the one who had challenged Rome and the priests, the one who had challenged even his own people, is now doing it in public, laying down the gauntlet. That the one who says, I will fulfill every prophecy, fulfills what Zechariah promised, fulfills what Ezekiel and Malachi promised. Because Jesus wasn't content with being just a prophet. Jesus is our blessed King. And this king demands our forever loyalty. And this loyalty is not a one-time thing, but a forever thing. I think it's interesting that Jesus gets this conqueror's welcome, right? Hosanna, the pilgrim greeting, is changed to be blessed to be the king. It's submission. This Messiah who comes, comes to rescue and redeem us. And they throw palms to say, yes, he will be the conqueror. What's interesting is to this day, Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah. And Hanukkah actually has its trace to this guy named Judas Maccabeus. And what he did was he not only came in power and might, but he kicked out the Greek for a little bit and reestablished the temple. And that's what they celebrate. Let it not be lost on us that billions more people celebrate Palm Sunday than Hanukkah and that Jesus comes in peace. Let it not be lost upon us that a temporary earthly victory in war is dwarfed incised by the impact of the humble servant dying on the cross for you and me. And not be lost upon us that Jesus conquers, not by might, by letting go of his power, by letting go of his majesty, by going to the tree, and by dying for us. Jesus is our blessed one because his courage comes. His courage comes in this holy week now when jesus enters into jerusalem he enters as a king but he leaves as a criminal in this week to come he will be betrayed and it's something that really hit me hard in the last couple of weeks you can only be betrayed by someone who knows you you can only be betrayed by someone who knows you and it cuts even deeper the more they know you and yes we remember that judas betrayed him Yes, remember that, that Peter denied him. I mean, we also remember that all those disciples fled. That not everyone fled except John and the women. It's the women who stayed at the base of the cross. I think it's do well for us to hold on to that. That we, the men, we, we ran away. There's no other nice way to put it. <laughs> you know, we ran away. We feared what would happen. But the women stayed faithful Jesus suffered this ultimate betrayal. He's hunted down, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's suffered, and he's crucified on Calvary's tree. But before then, I want us to also hold on to this truth, that he knew all this was going to happen, and he still courageously walked into it. He knew what was happening, and even on Maundy Thursday or, or at the Lord's Supper when he instituted it, he'll institute communion, which we'll do in a few minutes here, He knows all this is going to happen, yet he still washes feet. Yet he still seeks to redeem his people. He restores Peter, and I personally believe that if Judas had not run to his own tree and he had actually looked into the face of Jesus, even Judas would have known repentance. Why? Because our God forgives everything. Jesus knew Gethsemane was coming and Good Friday was coming. But I think Palm Sunday is this reminder to us we can't have Resurrection Sunday morning without the trial that happened on Friday. That Good Friday is only good for us, but not for him. But in all things, his body was broken, his blood was shed to remind us that he loves us. And to remind all of us that even the blood that flowed from Calvary's tree will ever and forever surpass even the blood that flows in our veins. Let Palm Sunday remind you this morning that Jesus didn't come for your hopes and dreams and your best life. Jesus came to do the Father's will. Let it remind you that Jesus came for the world. And this wasn't just John and a a theological saying, but the entire world was gathered as he comes into town to see that I'm here for the world. More than everything, may Palm Sunday be a reminder to us jesus comes to set us free jesus comes to set us free so i don't know what robe you're carrying this morning but i want you to leave it at the feet of jesus i don't know what burden you're holding on to this morning but i want you to leave it at the feet of jesus i don't know what struggle you're living in this morning but i need you to leave it at the feet of jesus because whatever burden or struggle you're holding on to that donkey is just going to walk right over it and the king is going to soar above it. Let Palm Sunday be a reminder to you that our God has come to set us